now pray that you would just bless the preaching of your word. Thank you. Thank you for your word that we hold in our laps. Thank you for this word being preached from this pulpit this morning. And people have gathered in the building, in their living rooms. Lord, now we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you are guests, first time streaming in with us. Thanks for joining with us. Uh, we will be covering chapters 46 and 47. We're in an extended series in this book of Isaiah. And the title this morning is How Big Is Your God? Part 2. And if you missed last week, I would really encourage you to go back on our website and you can um, view, listen to last week's sermon, How Big Is Our God? Part 1. We compare and contrast all the time. A um, couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago, a little less, uh, Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods and a couple other guys were in the match. And I was reading an article this week, and it was all about comparing and contrast, contrasting the clubs that those two men put in their bag for the match. We compare and contrast Toyota or Nissan. We compare and contrast Burger King or McDonald's or Chick-fil-A or what have you. Actually, when we think about it, shopping in general, is just an ongoing comparing and contrasting um, event. Which store will I go to? Which brand will I buy? We, uh, we compare and contrast prices and quality and management and service. We compare and contrast churches, denominations and affiliations, theological perspectives, preaching styles, exegetical or topical, uh, age integrated or age divided, traditional or contemporary, elder-led or deacon-led, casual or formal, and the list is long. We could keep going. We compare and contrast this employer or that one, this college or that college, CNN or Fox, MSNBC or none of them at all. We compare and contrast all day long. It's second nature to us. We do it without thinking about it. And in our text this morning, Isaiah is helping us to compare and contrast the gods of Babylon and the one true God over all. And the point that Isaiah is making here in chapter 46 and 47 is that we're to compare and contrast that we might wholly run, turn to God. All of Isaiah is a call to repentance all of Isaiah is a call to turn from your idols, turn from your sin, renounce this world, its values, it, it, what it puts before us as the priorities that we're supposed to adopt, and run to the Lord. Reject the idols and run to God. Now we need to consider what idols are. An idol can be a good thing. An idol can be a morally neutral thing. But that thing has gone bad. It might be things like money. Money's not a bad thing, but it can become bad, right? It can be success or a job or even a vaccine. It can be immoral things. It can be the pursuit of an immoral relationship. It might just be laziness and the pursuit of endless comforts. Or on the flip side, an idol can be busyness. 
because we're driven to want to be thought of in a certain way as a hard worker or, or um, somebody who's succeeding in the workplace. Idols come in all sorts of varieties. John Calvin stated that our hearts are an idol factory. So our hearts are just constantly manufacturing idols. One way we can know if something has become an idol is by asking, how am I doing if I lose my idol? Does the loss leave me feeling empty and despondent? These responses will reveal what truly has a hold of our hearts. A good thing becomes a bad thing when we elevate the good thing. We end up valuing the gift more than the giver of the gift. And we buy into the idea that the idol will be my source of salvation, a deliverer, a refuge I can run to, a comfort in times of trouble. Sounds like the Psalms, doesn't it? A refuge to run, an answer in the midst of my struggles. It can be small and silly like a bag of cookies. That's why we call them comfort foods. It can be big like the alcoholic who needs a drink to be the source how I will find peace and comfort. It can be status. It can be acknowledgement. It can be a lust for recognition. It can be success or attention. What do you look to for security? Where do you run for safety? Where do you find your soul's satisfaction? Is good health the God you serve? Then your God might be the routine. It might be the diet. Now listen, the, the, the point this morning is not that I'm saying, okay, so success is bad or diet is bad or the routine is bad. No, it's to recognize that these morally neutral things become elevated in our hearts and become the thing that we live for and drives us. And when we lose it, we become despondent. Or is it beauty? Is it significance? How about identity? How about work or relationships? We can even make an idol out of marriage, whether you're married or wanting so desperately to be married. We make an idol out of obedient children. If my children would just obey me, I would have peace and comfort and satisfaction. Or if they would just obey me, I would look good in front of other people whose children seem to be perfectly obedient. If I have these things, I can sing, it is well with my soul. But if I lose these or this thing, then look out. I might become anxious or angry or distraught or depressed, wondering where did I go wrong? Why? Because the idol is not delivering as it promised. And let's be honest, it's not out there. It's right in here. It's right in here. And so if I didn't happen to touch on your particular idol, well, we just, because we lack time, we'll get there. Because all of our hearts are an idol factory. We would do well to think deeply about what controls our hearts. Idols reveal our trusts, our priorities, and the cravings reveal the things that we think matter most. Idols reveal that our hearts aren't fully satisfied with God alone because God's just not quite enough. I need God, but I need God plus my health. 
and then it is well with my soul. Or I need God, but I need God plus money, and then it's well with my soul. I need God, but I need God plus success, then it's well with my soul, etc. And we start to believe the lie that the idol is what will give me what I want. By the way, that describes the Garden of Eden. The idol was the juicy, low-hanging fruit, sort of. It was the lust, right, for status. It was, it was the, the temptation that came to Eve was, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. It was the idol of self. Adam and Eve had it all, but somewhere they got lost in that idea of, We've got it all, but it's not enough. Something more is needed. They wanted more, and they believed the lie that to have more was then to be like God. Now, all of that describes chapter 46 and chapter 47 of Isaiah. Chapter 46 is Babylon's idols. That's really, if you put a heading over it, it's, it's about Babylon's idols. Chapter 47 is about Babylon's destruction because of chapter 46, <laughs> all right? So 46, Babylon's idols, 47, Babylon's destruction. Now, what you need to know is Babylon isn't just a place. Here and other places in scripture at this point, this is representing something. Babylon represents the world. It's a, it's a, it's a picture of, if you remember many months ago when we were preaching through Isaiah, we had two or three sermons on on the city of man and the city of God. Remember that? Babylon represents the city of man. It's the world's values that are being brought to us. So let's dive in. Point one, compare and contrast. In who or what will you place your trust? The gods who must be carried. That's verses one and two. Let's read again. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts, all right? So they're being carried by beasts, their animals and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. First thing we need to know is who's this Bell and Nebo? Well, Bell is, is the idol. This, this was the God of gods. He was the king of gods. And Nebo was thought to be his eldest son. And he was considered to be the God of communication. And these false gods were paraded. They were carried on the backs of animals through the streets. And the idea was as if, if we put this, I don't know if it was a golden image or what made up this bell and this Nebo, but if it was gold, it's probably heavy. It was bearing down on these animals. They were burdened with the weight of carrying these idols through the street. And the idea was that if we bring Bell and Nebo through the street, we'll gain the favor of the gods. That's what's going on there. And it's right there in front of them. Isaiah is, is, is basically saying to them and us, look at this. Look what's going on here. The idols are on display for what they are. They're not omnipresent. It's right there. Someone had to physically pick the idol up and put it on the animal. And the animal is having to physically carry the idol around the city. And Isaiah is saying, look at this. We're going to compare and contrast. And the point that Isaiah is making is if, if these animals are burdened and 
struggling under the weight to carry the idols, how will the idol carry you? How will the idol hold you up? They can't hold themselves up. They require an animal. If your God needs the strength of an animal, how will it be of any help whatsoever to you? Hello? These are the idols that the people are trusting in for their salvation. And we're to compare and contrast the false gods that we create with the one true God. In the midst of our current COVID-19 challenges, we need to recognize new gods have been created. How quickly we forget and turn to the gods of Babylon, this world. It's possible to be grateful for our government, the medical community, Dr. Fauci, CDC, safety measures. Grateful, I've been grateful for, we've had added family time. Uh, I've been grateful for less meetings, a little bit of a slower pace. How quickly that can turn into a new God. These things are not to be our source, our hope, our peace, our joy. My God is not my financial picture. It's not stocks and bonds. It's not 401k. Have we not seen that those things are so fleeting and can disappear in a moment of time? Where do you turn in your time of need? Who will you trust in for your salvation? You see, we are hardwired for worship. The question is not, will you worship? The question, who or what will you worship? Now remember, Isaiah wants us to compare and contrast. So he's going to set this up for us. Here's your gods and look at them. They're being carried by beasts and the beasts are burdened down. And then he wants us to contrast that with the almighty God. Verse three, the God who carries you. It's not an accident of language. The beasts can't carry their gods. Now, verse three. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth. What's the word? Carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made you and I will bear you. I will carry you. And will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Oh, the insanity of our, our, our idolatry. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. And I love how he says, he'll start in verse eight, remember this and stand firm. And I just want to call on you. Remember who your God is and stand firm. Remember that your God is the God who does not require beasts to carry him, but he is the God who carries you. He's been carrying you. That's the point that Isaiah has been ma- is, is making here. 
He's carried you before you ever were. And then it says, he carried you in the womb. And then it says, he'll carry you when your, your hairs are gray. Amen. Right? I'm recognizing I've got new gray hairs, more, more gray hairs today. God's going to carry us. And he's going to carry us to the very end. He will carry us to the promised land. Our God carried his people. This, this, was a, this was something they would have recognized. Oh, yeah, our God. Remember this. Our God carried us. He carried us out of Egypt. He carried us through the wilderness. He carried us to the promised land, Exodus 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Deuteronomy 1, and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. Church, I want to remind you, your idols are worthless. (laughs) They don't speak. They don't move. They don't walk. They need to be carried. And they are burdensome to the animals that carry them. And I want to remind you, your God has been, is, and will be carrying you every day of your breathing life until you see him face to face and you no longer need to be carried. He goes on, verse 8, I am the God, I am God and there is no other. Hear this, church. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind. That's what we're doing this morning. Recall it to mind. You transgressors, that's us. Recall it to mind, sinful people. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. How silly that anything actually even gets compared. There is no comparison. That's really what Isaiah was saying earlier. I am the God and there is no other, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness, it is not far off and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. God here is not looking into his crystal ball and trying to make some predictions. This is not God um, trying to make some um, predictions for things that might come to be. No, this is God who knows all that will be because he has purposed it to be. It is because God said, you will be. How big is your God? Do you serve a small God who really doesn't know the future? Or do you serve a small God who knows the future, but he just doesn't have the power as he looks to the future and he sees COVID-19 coming in 2019, and he just doesn't have the power to do anything about it? How big is your God? Or does he look to the future and he's got the power to do something about it? He just doesn't know what to do. He doesn't have the wisdom. How big is your God? Or do you serve a God 
who has planned for it to be. Now, I understand this stretches our brains. I understand this is, for some, this is difficult to hear. And you struggle with the idea of God being sovereign. Not like I just described it, but like Isaiah is describing it. The word of God is describing it. I understand that. I understand that we wrestle with sovereignty and responsibility, and we have addressed that many times here at Trinity, and we will address it more in the future. For now, we don't have time to address sovereignty and responsibility. I simply ask you, how big is your God? Can we trust his word? Verse 10, I am God and there is no like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So who is in control? Well, not the idols that are be carrying around that need to be picked up and moved and put on an animal that's bearing down on them. It is the God, and we're to compare and contrast this, it is the God who carries you, who has been carrying you, who will carry you to the end. It is the God who declares beginning from end, whose counsel shall stand, who accomplishes all of his purposes, who speaks and he brings it to pass because he has purposed for it. It is, it is done. And Isaiah shows us that again and again and again and again. I encourage you, if you're struggling with this, just go back to Isaiah 40 and read it and then read it again, and then read it again. God is sovereign over everything. I like the way John Piper speaks about verse 10. He says this, when he says, I will accomplish all my purposes, all my purpose, he means nothing happens except what is my purpose. If something happened that God did not purpose to happen, he would say, that's not what I purpose to happen. And we would ask, what did you purpose to happen? And he would say, I purposed this other thing to happen, which didn't happen. To which we would all say then, but you said in Isaiah 46, 10, I will accomplish all my purpose. And he would say, that's right. Therefore, what God means in Isaiah 46, 10 is that nothing has ever happened or will ever happen that God did not purpose to happen. Or to put it positively, everything that happened or will happen, is purposed by God to happen. Amen. It is. How big is your God? I believe in the sovereign hand of God. And as I said last week, what that means, means a lot of things, but there are no rogue, not a single rogue molecule in the universe. If there is one, one rogue molecule that has slipped under the sovereign eye of God, slipped through the radar, then God is not sovereign. And he cannot be trusted. How big is your God? If in any sort of way, any one small thing can thwart the sovereignty of God, he's not in control. Now, I realize that can be a new thought for some. I realize that can be a struggle for some. And I realize some of you need convincing. And that's okay. I just want to encourage you, 
in the building or live stream, don't take my word for it. Study scripture. So here's, we're going to spend a little bit of the next few minutes just unpacking a number of scriptures. It's not typically the way we would preach, but this morning I feel like it'd be helpful just to bring the weight of God's word. It's not just Tim's idea. This is not just a random scripture in Isaiah somewhere in 46. This, we don't have time. If we just did an extension, extensive reading of scripture, we just don't have time for it. There's not a few. There's a lot. And so here we go. Matthew 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Jesus said, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. The point there isn't, wow, isn't that novel uh, novelty that God knows the number of our hairs? No, the point is that God is sovereign over every detail. Things that we would consider insignificant, God is sovereign. Isaiah 40, lift up your eyes on high. So look to the sky, look to the stars and see who created these, who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Job 37, he, he loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands, commands them on the face of the habitable world whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. So these are just scriptures about God's sovereign hand over nature, over his creation. Jesus is on the boat with his disciples, right? He's asleep. Disciples wake him up. Don't you care? He gets up in the middle of the storm and he says, peace, be still. And what do the winds and the waves do? Well, they obey him. Why? Because he created them. (laughs) That's what winds and waves do. They're actually more obedient than we are. And Mark 4 tells us the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Welcome to Florida. It's another year, another hurricane season. Ah! Are there any hurricanes over which God cannot say, peace, peace? Be still. And the winds then determine whether or not they will hear his voice and obey him. I think not. Amos puts it like this. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? How big is your God? Compare him to the gods of this world. Can they stop a single storm? does, Does anybody doubt that if God spoke right now over COVID 19, you're done? Your time's up, finished, that COVID-19 continues. What about my comments last week? That's in regards to nature. How how about these comments last week where I said, you know what? There, There are no presidents or prime ministers or dictators that rule outside of the sovereign hand of God. Is God sovereign over those who lead us? I say, yes, but don't take my opinion. Let's go to scripture. Daniel 2, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. The most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Proverbs 21, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Psalm 33, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. 
He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generation. What about the cross? We mentioned the cross last week. He will bring it up in Isaiah chapter 53. It is the Lord's will to crush him. Speaking of Jesus. We also read from from Acts. We'll just keep pushing forward. What about physical ailments? It's difficult. I shared some of my own last week. Exodus 4 says, the Lord said to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Job chapter 1, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. James chapter 4, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to, into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What about our salvation? Is God sovereign? Well, John 6, 44 says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Matthew 11, all things have been handed over to me, Jesus speaking, by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. Ephesians 2, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose. What is predestined according to what? According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Trinity, how big is your God? Take the time to compare and contrast your God to the gods that our hearts manufacture. Have any of your idols saved you? Yeah, my money did. My money saved me. It got me out of that mess that we were in. Well, friend, where did you get the money? Well, I got it from working. I'm a hard worker. Well, where did you get the ability to work? Well, I got it because I went to college. I went to the university and I learned. Well, where did you get the ability to learn anything? Yes, we have a responsibility. But friends, God is sovereign over everything. Now, where Isaiah is going to go from there into chapter 47, and we won't have time to unpack this, but it's just... It's a chapter of destruction. Here's the destiny. What's my destiny? Well, for those who will follow the idols, read chapter 47. In verses 1 through 3, there's just shame and judgment. In verses 8 through 9, there's enormous grief and loss. And 11 to the end, there's just utter devastation and loss. So what is to be our response to the truth? Or what is to be our response as we compare and contrast the idols that we manufacture and the God who is God over all? And if I could have the worship team join me.
The response is God invites us to prize him, to glory in him, to esteem him. The response is humility. The response, the compare and contrast, the response is to hit our knees in worship of him. The response is utter awe and glory. It is, it is to, to join in on the, the voices of the saints throughout the ages that we would just join with him and just say, worthy, worthy, worthy is our God. He is infinitely worthy. He not only created us, he knew us before we ever were, but, 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 but yeah, he, he made us. You, you are intricately woven in your mother's womb, Psalms 139 tells us. You were made by God. You are no accident that happened to come into the universe. No, God said for you to be and you are, you exist. So praise be to God, he created you. But you are fallen. We are sinful people. And not only did he create you, but he sent his son to then redeem you. You don't just exist. If you are a follower of Christ, you exist for him. You live for him. You have been redeemed by him. Praise be to God, he's the creator. That's wonderful, that's glorious, that's amazing. But wow, he saved you and I, a sinner, by his grace, by his mercy, because he is faithful. And so we, we, we worship, we stand in awe of him. But we also trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Marvel in the glory of your God. Let's stand together. Let's lift our voices and sing to him.